Hello, and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. Today's episode, number 17, is called The Disparate Impact on Women as a Result of the Pandemic. Our special guest is Kelly Myers. Kelly is the managing partner of Freaking Myers and Rule, and consequently, she is now my boss. She's also the former president of the Cincinnati Bar Association, and she has been a guest on two of our previous episodes. So after listening to today's episode, you can go back and enjoy Kelly again if you would like. In episode three, Kelly talked about the rights of current employees, and in episode 10, Kelly discussed steps that you should take after you lose a job. So this podcast is all about working, and we'd like to welcome Kelly to the show, the podcast about working. Kelly, how you doing? I'm great, Randy. How are you? Uh, very good, Kel. I mean, just trying to stay safe, and in the midst of this quarantine, it's a little bit more difficult, but... I guess we're all making do, right? I'm trying to just be in denial a little bit. But yes, we are all working hard to be flexible and make do and wear our masks and social distance and avoid mm-hmm. big crowds. So what's happening at Freaking Myers and Rural? Is everybody back in the office? Is it a, some people home, some people at the office? Tell us about that, first of all. Well, for a period of time, everyone was working remotely at home except for maybe one or two people at a time to do uh, what needed to be done with respect to getting the mail, that kind of thing. And now we're back to where the people who can work from home are working from home, and the people who need to be in the office to have access to copiers or technology or what have you are, but we're trying to rotate people in and out to keep the number of people in as low as possible. So nobody's had to be laid off or anything like that? No, you know, we're advocates for working people and our employees are working people and we want to advocate and take the best care of them that we can. Okay. Well, great. Well, that brings us to today's topic. Since the onset of the pandemic back in the spring, millions of employees, not at Freaking Myers and Rule apparently, have lost their jobs primarily due to companies reducing their workforces. And many of those people now cannot return to work or have not been called back to their employer when the employer has started to hire employees again. Today, we'd like to focus on the special topic of the impact on women in the workplace 
and how they have been affected by the virus. Kelly, what do we know about how the pandemic has affected men and women differently? So before this pandemic, um, all previous recessions either impacted men more. For example, in the 07-09 recession, men were impacted more because construction and manufacturing industries, Hmm. which typically have a higher prevalence of men than women, were impacted more heavily, or that there was a neutral impact on men and women. So this is the first uh, economic downturn that has affected women more than men in the workplace. So I've seen it um, called a she-session by authors who are (laughs) writing about the effects of the pandemic and working women. So it's kind of touche, right? The men got the worst of the previous recessions, and now the women are getting the worst of this uh, pandemic. Yes, the women, uh, yes, studies are showing that women are being disproportionately impacted by this Um, The job losses are much higher for women, and uh, the partial recovery that we've seen so far is showing that it's a persistent change. As of August of 2020, uh, the male labor supply was still, had recovered, and it was only about 9% lower than Mm pre-pandemic, but the women in the labor supply was still 20% below where we were in February of 2020. So it's impacted women more because of, I think, two factors. Um, one, it's had a disproportionate impact on industries that women are disproportionately in, such as restaurant, retail, service industries. Mm-hmm. And because women still typically tend to bear more of the responsibility for home and kids, and when schools and child cares were impacted and shut down, that meant that even women who weren't involuntarily Uh, put out of the labor market, many had to voluntarily leave to take care of the home front. And I kind of jokingly said touche, but because I think what you told us is that the women are not coming back either. And probably in previous recessions when construction picked up and things that are predominantly male occupations for one reason or another, they probably got called back to work. You know, you shut down some building and all of a sudden the construction starts back up, so they get returned to work, right? Well, things don't, after recession, things don't just come back right away. And that's happening in this uh, recession as well. Well, I guess we're not in a recession yet. Might be in a depression. <laughs> right. Um, let's just call it a, a, a downward labor market. Okay. Um, some data from previous uh market trends or employment trends show that workers who lose employment during a recession experience persistent wage losses. So Mm -hmm. they don't come back immediately and sometimes, and the wages don't come back immediately as well. So unfortunately, it looks like there's likely going to be a persistent impact on pay, which is going to, um, unfortunately, it looks like have have a lengthening impact on the gender pay inequity, the pay gap. So women were making progress, um, and I think now, unfortunately, the pay gap is widening again, and it may be that way for a while before we're able to close it again. Right. Some commentators have said that the pandemic will take women back 10 years, at least, as far as equality in the workplace. So maybe we ought to tell our listeners where we were 10 or 20 years ago, 
and we, where we were before the pandemic in terms of gender equality. So I am not an economist, <laughs> decidedly not, not an, economist. an economist. <laughs> but so the Equal Pay Act had its 50th anniversary in 2020. So for 50 years, it's been unlawful to have a to pay women differently for the same work that their male counterparts were doing. Mm-hmm. But that pay gap has never actually closed entirely. There's been progress um, in 2020. Um, well, actually, go, let's go back to 2015. Women were making 74 cents on the dollar mm-hmm. to men. It's a very slow progress. So it's, it's slow progress. But it was probably 30% way back when. Right. So we've, we've got up to 74% in 2015. Right. It came up to 74 cents on the dollar in 2015. By 2020, uh, women were making 81 cents on the dollar. So improvement, still a little improvement between 15 and 20 but now studies are starting to show that pay gap broadening again. So we'll have to see what the data ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll, the data will show what's happening in a year or so. But there have been um, studies that are showing that there is a pay gap. For example, um, Doximity is a professional medical network of doctors, and it's the largest professional medical network in the country. And they do an annual physician compensation study. And they just found that last, just recently, so the fall of 2020, that last year the compensation gender gap was 25% women to male doctors. And in 2020, it rose to 28%. So this is one one study. It You know, it's a change, but it it's not a good sign for women and pay equity. Right. You don't normally think of doctors as being disproportionately compensated, but you're telling us that even before the pandemic, you know, when you gave us a 74 cents on a dollar figure, that was also true in a field like medicine? Yes. I mean, I think that there are still pay inequities in professional fields and in other fields such as service industries. I think that lower wage workers um, well, it depends on if they have union protection or not. Mm-hmm. If there's union protection, then there shouldn't be as much, if any, gender disparity in the wages that a person's being paid. Right, because in a union context, you know, a laborer classified as a laborer too, they all get paid the same theoretically right. under a collective bargaining agreement. Right. It's not. We're primarily talking about non-union environments, I guess. Right. We're primarily talking about private sector, and it's persistent uh, across industry sectors. Doctors have disparate uh, hmm. wages on, based on gender. Lawyers have disparate wages based on gender. Part of it is, I think, related to the fact that um, women, there tends to be a, a mommy penalty as well in wages. Women have to step back to child bear and child rear. That puts their wages behind their male counterparts say, if a professor at a university, if they have to delay their um, application for tenure, delay their publication, then you know, that may delay when they get tenure and get a, a higher wage at that time. So there's a, a multitude of factors that come into play with respect to wage equity, but it's it's prevalent across industries. Yeah, it's been a persistent problem for years, and people have complained about it for years, and politicians have said they're going to do something about it. But uh, I guess slow but steady progress. But then how has the pandemic erased those gains? You've sort of alluded to it. You've talked about it a little bit. But 
How would you say that this pandemic is different? Well, I think it's twofold. One, there's been a disproportionate impact of layoffs and furloughs in industries where women are highly represented. So they've been forced out of the labor market. And when they come back, um, you know, they may not come back to the same wages that coming returning to the job market may be slow. Um, and also then, there is also uh, the factor of women still being the primary caregivers at home. So because this pandemic is based on, or because this recession or the wage, or the, I'm sorry, the um, job market shrinkage is based on health concerns, families have lost their childcare. Families have lost the ability to send their kids to school consistently five days a week across many parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And when you have... If a woman is making less, if the mom is making less than the dad, then she's probably the one that's going to have to step back and stay home and care for the kids. It's going to put her even farther behind when she does get back into the job market. And even if she's making the same, the dad probably says, I should be going to work and the mom's going to stay home. But it's exacerbated when the woman is making 74 cents or 81 cents on the dollar the economic decision is to have the father return to the workforce. Right. I mean, there's clearly a lot of marriages. Everybody's different. You only know what goes on behind your closed doors. But um, typically women still bear the brunt of the home care, the house care, the child care. And yeah, I think that a lot of times women are in a position where they married their own glass ceilings. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> you have to have a if you know you have to have a partner who's willing to step back in his career too. And you know what that gender bias affects male employees really as much as women. I think men who decided that they are going to stay home and need to take time off to care for the kids would probably be treated much more harshly by their employer than a woman who made the same decision because employers expect that women are going to be the ones who need to stay home or take care of the kids if emergency arise, you know, if an emergency arises. And not so much men. You and I had a, had a trial um, several years ago where a man, a male police officer, took um, paternity leave when his kids were born. And he was not then promoted after that. So the, the whole issue was how he was treated Basically, it was an FMLA retaliation type of theory. Mm -hmm. But really, I think a woman probably wouldn't have faced as much as the barrier than the man who decided to stay home with the kids. Now, I mean, women face barriers all the time. All the time because it's such a larger – when you're saying that if a guy stays home with the kids, uh, he's going to face the same problems. But the reality is that that's – I want to guess it's 1% – of married couples decide that the male is going to stay home and the female is going to go back to work. I mean, it's a low percentage. It's a low percentage, right, which I think is why then it's so, you know, I think viewed perhaps as a lack of dedication to Mm -hmm. the career for the men. So, you know, I think we need to have changes in the country that promote the ability to uh, take care of sick people and our kids, regardless of whether you're the mom or the dad. But right now, it clearly falls more heavily on the mothers, and that results in the persistent 
pay inequities that we see and now uh, the impact that it's having on women in the workplace that's being disproportionately skewed towards women than men. Um, Well, we're in the middle of an election season as we record this podcast, Kelly, and you were once the president of the Cincinnati Bar Association, you know, two or three years ago. Um, You mentioned we need some policy changes. Why doesn't Kelly Myers step up to the plate and run for president of the United States? Or maybe, you know, senator, congressman. Come on, if we're going to take care of the policy problems, we need a leader. We do need some leaders, and there are politicians far more talented than I would be. (laughs) I can advocate from behind the scenes. Um, You know, this country really does not support um, sick time, does not uh, support child care. Many other countries have paid leave, paid Mm -hmm. leave for taking time off. Most other countries. Most other countries, exactly. Um, We have the Family Medical Leave Act, which provides for up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave for the birth of a child or to care for somebody who's seriously ill in the family. Um, It's not enough. Congress did pass uh, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, but it was minimal, and it's going to expire at the end of the year. For people who needed, uh, who lost their child care or their kids were home from school for COVID-related reasons, that would provide up to 12 weeks of paid sick leave at two-thirds the pay if the employee was unable to work with a cap of $200 per day. Um, and it applied to people. A cap of $200 a day. A cap of 200 bucks a day. And it was only two-thirds. So you couldn't even pay 100%. It was only two-thirds. And that expires at the end of the year, in December 31 of 2020, as we tape this this podcast. So, you know, that does not provide enough support for people to be able to get through this pandemic and do their jobs. So for the economy to grow, we've got to be able to provide support that provides leave, provides paid leave, provides some subsidy for childcare so people can find quality, affordable childcare and can go to work and do their jobs and not be worried about what's happening at home. Yeah, when I saw that law pass at the beginning of the pandemic with the paid sick leave or family care leave uh, to a limited extent, like you say, two-thirds of pay with a cap of $200, I thought that's at least a step in the right direction. And I'm hoping that Congress in 2021 makes the Family Medical Leave Act paid leave. Absolutely. And for years, workers have had to make decisions about going to work when they're sick or or losing their jobs. There's a lack of paid sick leave. Um, 25% of private sector employees and almost 7 in 10 low-income workers do not have access to a single day of paid sick leave. And it's even more significant for people of color. Only one in three African-American employees and only uh, half of Latinx workers have any paid time off. That's crazy. It's I crazy. Mean, you know, Europeans largely have paid sick leave, uh, paid medical leave act, I guess, in a sense. And I haven't seen their economies crushed. You know, we hear a lot of politicians say, oh, th- that'll be the death of American businesses, American competition. But somehow their European counterparts can handle it. But... Uh, we're digressing a little bit. Well, you should run for president, right? Hopefully. Well, you know, if I had more time, <laughs> Kelly, I probably, you know, I was once uh, president of a student body back in my high school years. 
So I was a budding politician at one time, but I don't know. I don't think I would get elected or reelected. <laughs> I'd vote for you. If nominated, I will not run. <laughs> if elected, I will not serve. That's my motto, too. <laughs> Remind me that, too. So we've talked about the child care issue and the mommy. What did you call it? The mommy? Penalty. The mommy penalty. What about gaps in employment? You know, uh, so women, as a result of the pandemic, are going to lose their jobs for some period of time. And then they're going to re-enter the workforce. So they're out of work for six months, a year, 18 months. And then you try to return to the workforce. Does anything impact your wages at that point? Do gaps in employment like that affect women and kind of exacerbate the problem even more? Yes, I think gaps in employment do affect wages overall. You've got potentially you know, less experience, a gap in your resume that you have to explain. Um, and while women are sitting on the sidelines during this period of time for however long it is, other people may come in and fill that void, and those positions may not be there when right. they're it's able be primarily, to primarily, it'll work. be men. More men, right. Or women without children, I suppose. Exactly. Um, you know, as we've been talking here, um, I've kind of wondered about, are there wealth implications in this situation? For example, do females in wealthier households have the same types of problems as women in poorer households? Because I think this is terrible for um, poorer households when, you know, maybe they're working two or three jobs and suddenly because of the pandemic they're, and the child care issues and schools being closed or online learning, it's the woman who is naturally uh, going to be implicated by that because of the bias between who takes care of the kids. Um, are there some wealth implications here? In other words, are poorer households even worse off because of this? Yes. I mean, again, the statistics are starting to come out. The uh, Department of Labor has been putting out some reports and statistics, and women of color are losing their jobs at a higher um, rate than Caucasian women. And I think some of it is, again, kind of the types of industries that are suffering the biggest losses, restaurant, service, retail. So uh, there was a statistic that I saw that I thought was particularly interesting. Only one in 10 lower wage earner is able to work from home. So the job they do doesn't allow them to do it remotely or to telecommute to do it. And 69% um, of those lower wage earners are women. So that's why, again, we're seeing the disparate impact on women. Right. It's just a tremendous domino effect, right? right? Just right. one domino hits another and another and another. Right. Yeah, this is going to have an enormous impact on women, it seems. Is there anything they can do about it, um, about this disparity? Well, number one, in wages... And is there anything they can do about the fact that when they come back to work, maybe their pay is cut or they're not advanced or they're not put on the same career path as they were before? What can women do about that? 
There are laws in place in the United States that prohibit um, disparate treatment and wages and working um, and hiring decisions that protect women. So Title VII is the federal law that prohibits gender discrimination in hiring decision and in the terms and conditions of employment. So if a woman is laid off from her job and then she notices that people are being called back and she's not being called back, Mm -hmm. then I think that there could clearly be a Title VII or a state gender discrimination claim there. If employers are calling the men back first, I think that would clearly impact Title VII and be uh, gender discrimination. And mentioned, there is also the Equal Pay Act. So if a woman can uh, knows and can establish that she's being paid less than her male peers or peers who, who are doing comparable work, then there's a potential claim there under the Equal Pay Act that she can bring first you know, internally to make the argument to HR and say, hey, I've got reason to believe I'm being paid less than Joe, who's doing the same thing I'm doing and right. has only been here for five years and I've been here for 10. And then if she can't resolve it, you know, she can file a charge and file a lawsuit. So there are laws that apply um, that protect protect women, but it yeah, it, it doesn't feel like it's enough. It's right, enough. you mentioned the Equal Pay Act. I yeah. mean, that's been a law for 50 years right. now, and yeah. women have always had this access to the legal system, but they're reluctant. But I think they ought to get more proactive about this and maybe pursue options if they come back to work and they find that their wages are lower. Absolutely. I think we have to be, I think women have to be advocates for themselves and they have to take care of themselves. I think women often uh, spend a lot of time taking care of the people around them and they don't have much time left to advocate for themselves. And uh, But there are options. And if they find that they're being, uh, their career has been stagnated or they're being paid less than, than their male peers, you know, they can and should think about options of pushing forward because then they make a difference not only for themselves, but potentially for other employees in their community will say, oh, okay, <laughs> these right. women are going to start suing us, so we better <laughs> we better do the right thing and we better stop uh, violating the law. So, you, you, you know, I think when we bring a lawsuit, we the change is not affected just for our client, but I think it also is affected for other people in the community. It's, you know, it has a chilling effect on employers who are trying to do the wrong thing if they know that they're going to get caught and somebody might call them on it. Yeah, there are a lot of employers out there who will do the wrong thing until they're caught by just one employee. Right. And that might result in them changing the way they operate generally. Employers don't like to get sued. Right. Because they're used to making all the rules. And so one person can make a tremendous difference. One person can make a huge difference for themselves, their coworkers, and their neighbors and friends and family in the community. So you mentioned about how women are in the service industry, maybe working for restaurants, bars, places like that. Do the federal laws like Title VII apply to all employers or only to larger employers? Title VII applies to any employer with 15 or more employees. So it applies to a good number of even you know even small employers, uh, but if you are working somewhere that doesn't even have fifteen employees, there are state laws 
that apply to smaller employers, like in Ohio, for example, four employees or more would trigger protection under Ohio state law. So even the smallest uh, companies in America can at least, people can at least resort to their state remedies because their state uh, laws often protect much smaller, uh, well, employees of much smaller employers. Right, exactly. Now, has this pandemic affected the way you look at your job and career at all? Being a female, I know that's kind of an off-the-wall question, but I wonder if it makes you kind of sit back and think anything about it. You're the mother of a fine high school-age child. You've well, got a working husband. You guys balance a lot of things, and yet day in and day out, you see other women who are not fortunate enough to be able to balance all these things. And I just wonder, does it make you take a different look at your career or has the pandemic affected Kelly Myers in a different way than it may affect other people? You know, I don't know how I would have continued to work, at least work full time, if my daughter had been younger. So she's a senior in high school right this year, and she's pretty self-sufficient and can kind of guide herself on her remote learning. If she'd have been in kindergarten, I don't know what we would have done. I think parents of smaller kids, and mm-hmm. I, I have one child, parents mm-hmm. who have two or three or four kids, it, it seems like it's a very impossible situation. So, you know, we, we want to try to do everything we can to make it able for our employees to balance and juggle what they need to do. You know, it does feel like it's not enough. We do need changes in the law, um, legislative changes. We can can address and we can try to enforce and um, call the employers to court if they're violating the laws that are on the books. But as we've been talking about, really the laws on the books I don't think are quite enough to really get to true um, equality in the workplace. We've got to have we've got to have childcare that people can rely on and can afford. We've got to have some paid time off so people can take time off when they need to uh, to care for their kids or to care for themselves and not know that they're going to be fired if they take three weeks off to care for their child who has COVID or their spouse who has COVID. So you know, I think this country is behind a lot of other. Um, industrialized countries in the protections that they have for their workers, and we need to get better. So maybe the pandemic has changed you in the sense of a more uh, keen focus on these issues affecting women in the workplace, would you say? Are you going to be more attuned to their needs? I mean, I'm sure you've always been attuned to their needs, but this really seems like it's going to focus in on women in the workplace. The impact of this pandemic has hit women much harder. Yes, the impact has hit women much harder. And, you know, what I can do and what I can focus on is helping as many people as I can who have struggles getting back to work. Um, And then, you know, I think what I would say is, you know, call your congressperson, call your state legislatures, protest. Make your voice heard. We need changes, and those legislative changes are going to be what makes a big impact. 
Kelly Myers cannot make all the changes herself. So people have to band together and call their legislators, et cetera. So, you know, Kelly, when we were first talking about this uh, podcast, we were going to talk about a theory called the disparate impact theory in employment litigation. You've mentioned disparate treatment where a woman is treated differently than a man. But there's another theory called disparate impact. And we kind of went away from that and wanted to talk about the disparate impact on women caused by the pandemic. But maybe let's back a little bit, back up a little bit. And and can you explain to our listeners what the disparate impact theory is of employment discrimination? In broad terms. It's essentially facially neutral policies or procedures that affect a class of employees more harshly than others. So they're impacted more heavily than their male peers by the same kind of policies or procedures in the workplace. Is there a good example of that or an example of that? I think of police officers back in the day who, I think there used to be rules where you could... Well, there were like height restrictions for pilots. Yeah. That would have a disparate impact on women. Um, there were a lot of the cutting edge law on this or the earlier law on this was like pension, um, pension rules that had a disparate impact on women. Um, but explain the whole height requirement. How would that play in disparate impact? If, if American Airlines says we're only going to have pilots they're at least six feet tall. That seems pretty even-handed. You have to be six feet tall or higher to be a pilot. So why would that be unlawful? Well, that is that's a facially neutral policy. Doesn't facially neutral. Doesn't, what does that mean? That means that we'll take women and men as long as they're six feet. It's not a policy that says we only want male pilots, but it's a way to eliminate more women than men because. Fewer women, much fewer women, are at least six feet than males. So it has a, a disparate impact in that the proportionality is different. So say, you know, you've got 100 men and 100 women and... They're all applying for a pilot's job. They're all applying for a pilot's job. But 70 of the men are six feet or more and only 20 of the women are six feet or more. Then that has a disparate impact on who's going to get the job because... Most of the women are cold, aren't even considered for employment because they don't meet that facially neutral policy. It's kind of a sneaky way for an employer uh, to commit discrimination against women if they want to, but they must have a defense to that. I mean, is there is it possible for an employer to have a facially neutral policy that impacts women differently or other races differently, but still be legal? Yes, if it's a bona fide occupational qualification. So um, if somebody under six feet really can't pilot the plane, they just physically can't reach the controls, then, okay, that would be a BFOQ, a bona fide occupational qualification, and the employer could make that restriction, even if it did have a disparate impact. But, you know, really, um, can you slide the can you slide the chair further up so that there's a 
better ability to reach the controls? Can you make changes in the cockpit so shorter people can mm -hmm. fly the plane just as safely as taller people? Yeah, I can remember a case a long time ago where an employer said we will only hire people that know people in this company or relatives of this people pe people in this company. Well, it turned out that it was basically an all-white workforce. Yes, that would be a really good way to keep anybody not like you out of your your job. Right. I, I forget the name of that case, but it was a pretty famous case. And, you know, the employer thought, well, that sounds pretty rational to us. Why We want to have a bunch of friends working together, a bunch of relatives working together. But the problem was that job applicants who were of a different race tended not to have friends or relatives in that company. <laughs> right. And so the Supreme Court said, nah, baby, nah. Mm -hmm. That's the disparate impact. Some policy that's neutral, looks like it's okay on its face but has a disproportionate impact on a protected class of people. All right. What about other legal protections for women generally in the workforce? You know, none of our, our prior episodes have talked just about gender discrimination. We've, we've had an episode about sexual harassment, but we haven't talked about gender discrimination itself. What other kind of legal claims? You've mentioned the Equal Pay Act, You've touched on the Family and Medical Leave Act. You've talked about disparate treatment between women and men. Maybe maybe talk a little bit about disparate treatment. What is disparate treatment in its simplest form, and how does that affect women? So, see, I always say disparate. Dis tomato, tomato, disparate, <laughs> disparate. Um, so disparate treatment say there is a female employee and a male employee, and they both are working on the uh, widget line, and they report to the same supervisor. They both have an um, expectation to make 10 widgets an hour, and they both make eight widgets an hour, and the man gets a warning and the woman gets fired. That would be an example of disparate treatment. The woman is treated more harshly for basically the same you know, performance deficiency than the man. So um, Title VII and state law prohibits gender discrimination, whether there's direct evidence of discrimination. I mean, somebody can say, ah, we don't want women in this job. They're just not reliable. They'll just go home and, and have babies. We don't want to invest in them. So that would be direct evidence of gender discrimination. But more often than not, it's, um, it's circumstantial evidence and that kind of disparate treatment type of evidence where we look and find that women are treated more harshly or held to a different standard than male counter counterparts. So gender discrimination is unlawful. Um, the Equal Pay Act prohibits uh, pay inequities in the workplace. There's a Pregnancy Discrimination Act that prohibits discrimination on the basis of pregnancy. Right. There are laws that protect nursing moms and require that they be able to have some you know, place, private place to pump and to be able to breastfeed. Those are people that get fired and they, they come to you and they want to bring like a wrongful discharge case. Like the example you gave of the widget maker who makes the same amount of widgets than their male counterpart, but she gets fired, he doesn't. Uh, and I think people think of employment law a lot in the context of terminations. Mm -hmm. Do these laws apply equally as well when you're trying to find a job or you're trying to get a promotion, uh, things like that? Absolutely. 
Yes. I mean, Title VII prohibits discrimination in hiring decisions, promotion decisions, and termination decisions. So if you, if a woman is being passed over for promotion and her male uh, peers that she trained or she, you know, has much better um, sales numbers or much better results, but the males are getting the promotions, that could be a, a gender discrimination claim. Okay. Well, I'm going to flash back to the pandemic issue real quickly and just ask you, um, you say you've been able to maintain the same workforce. I know you get a lot of calls pre-pandemic. How has the pandemic affected the level of calls that your office is getting as opposed to pre-pandemic? In other words, are people stopping the call because of the pandemic or are you seeing an increase, decrease? So for a time, there was, I think, a decrease because people are just trying to focus on the day-to-day emergency in front of them. They got to figure out um, what they're going to do when their whole plant's been laid off. And But now that people are starting to, there is people going back to work. We're not subject to um, shutdowns and stay-at-home orders, at least right now, we're not, um, mm-hmm. in the late fall of 2020. Um, I think the calls are picking back up, and they're back to pre-pandemic levels. So, I, yeah, there was a time, I think, when um, people just had to focus on that day and didn't really have time to figure out the the next week's calamity. But certainly now that things are are starting to go back to work and people are starting to get back to work, There, there's issues that they need advice about. And how much time does somebody have when they've been discriminated against on the job? As a general rule, there's various statutes of limitations, but what would you tell a person is, is the longest they should wait before contacting a lawyer if they experience a problem on the job with gender discrimination or any other kind of discrimination? Well, I'd really recommend trying to reach out to an attorney as soon as possible. But um, generally, in most states, you have 300 days to file a charge of discrimination with the EEOC. So definitely, you know, you don't want to wait um, 10 until, months. You don't want to wait until day the, 299. No, you do not want to wait till day 299 because you will make my life very stressful that day. <laughs> That's true. So... Um, Try to do it as soon as possible, but but there is some time. You and and even if you think you've waited too long, it doesn't hurt to get some advice because there are some state laws that have longer statute of limitations or different different things that we can look at. Okay, Kelly, I think that's a lot to cover today. I think we've learned a few lessons. We've learned that the pandemic has really been tough on women in the workplace. I think we've learned that you're advocating for laws to be changed so that women will not be adversely affected as they have been. And it's worse as a result of the pandemic than it's been in previous recessions where there has been an impact maybe to a greater extent on men. But because of those circumstances, it's been able to they've been able to get back to pre-recession levels, whereas now the fear is that uh, we're not going to get women back to pre-pandemic levels. And I mentioned earlier that a commentator said that women's rights have been set back about 10 years in the workplace. So let's hope that person's wrong. Thank you for coming in today. I've enjoyed it. 
Anything else from Kelly Myers? Just be an advocate for yourself. If you think that you're being treated badly because of your gender, speak up, speak out, and make a difference. Wow. All right. Words of wisdom from Kelly Myers. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this episode, and thank you, Kelly, for coming in today in Studio One at Gwyn Sound in downtown Cincinnati. Kelly, are you going to say goodbye to our listeners? Yes. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Terkel that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than apathy. In short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying, unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work and please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com and freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone.